Listeners, we are here. Episode 10 of season three, my finale. It would be so hard to imagine I'd get to this space if it weren't for the support of my patrons, my loyal listeners, and all of my guests that made this season the best one yet. I seriously appreciate all of your love and interest in this little dream of mine, and I'm so pleased to present you with our finale today, exploring the world of the music industry. I have three guests on today's show, a little bit like the first episode, and I think these guests are going to blow you away, particularly if you're in the art scene or have a dream of entering the music industry yourself one day. There's so much I could say as we reach this final episode, but I want to mention that the show wouldn't be possible this season if it weren't for the support and promotion of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATV. This show and so many like it, made by Albertans, make up this amazing network, which has helped me with some awesome ad spots, connections, and support that I wouldn't have found anywhere else. Check out one of my favorites on the network, That's a Thing, a show where host Elizabeth teensplains her media to her mom, Karen. You can find it and other Alberta voices on albertapodcastnetwork.com. We ask these children if they know when to go to emergency and when there are other options. Maybe if someone had a seizure or a heart attack, I would go to emergency if I was paralyzed or like broke something. They're there to treat people that are really sick or really hurt. If you have an emergency or if you're not sure, we're here to help. Know your options. Call HealthLink at 811 or visit ahs.ca slash options. Wow, this episode is packed with some serious gold. I'm so pleased to have compiled for you three incredible stories of experiences in the music industry, something I have been dying to include in my show since forever. We're talking today to two-time Juno-winning recording artist, Sibel, who is also in the Christian music scene under his full name, Greg Sibel all about his journey in being discovered, maintaining his dreams, and re-evaluating what it means to be associated with the industry so many people spend their lives fighting for. We're also talking with producer, songwriter, and musician Rachel Lampa, who charted the CCM charts multiple times in the early 2000s, had a song on the Walk to Remember soundtrack, and has done backing vocals for the likes of Britney Spears and the Jonas Brothers. And finally, we're talking with the incredible Kea Allo, a friend of mine, Asha, who is entering the music scene with her astonishing and near-perfect new project in the R&B space called 17 Times. We'll explore her barriers to the industry, her inspiration, and how she's finally free to release some of her most personal work. Kaya Allo is poised and positioned to be the next big artist, and I got her here first. Thank you so much for joining me this week as we explore the culture that surrounds these individuals, a concept that I stand by within the realm of the music industry, one of the most challenging cultural hurdles in our world today. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Well, my name is Greg Sabell. Gregory Paul Sabell, that's my full name. Uh, Grew up in British Columbia my whole life. I was born in a small logging town called Smithers, BC, then lived in a actual village called Topley, further north in BC. If you Google it, it's still called a village and there's probably like 200 people there. So, I lived there till I was about five and then moved to Fort St. John, BC and had a great childhood there till I was about 12. Went to summer camp and 
lived on my grandparents' farm for a long time. Oh, and nice. it was just very quaint and kind of untouched from like cities. And like we, you know, the big city was like Grand Prairie and maybe Edmonton if we were lucky. Whoa. So, it was, uh, <laughs> it was very small time kind of upbringing. Yeah. Um, I was in 4-H Leathercraft for like a whole year. I made some sweet coasters. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> okay. 4-H like- is like where you have like, <laughs> maybe you have like a cow or you have chickens or whatever. like it's like, okay. it's, and then you show them at the, the fair, the fall fair. <laughs> okay, okay. So, I was in the Leathercraft one. <laughs> nice. We made belts and stuff. You know? Sweet. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Very, uh, yeah. Just It was a very slow paced kind of laid back lifestyle. When I was 12 to Salmon Arm, which is right in the middle of like Vancouver and Calgary, if right. you're in, in uh, Canada. So, it's it's about five hours each direction. Small town again, beautiful town right on a lake and uh, grew up there. And yeah, just from an early age, always wanted to do music. Like I remember being probably 10, even eight and just sitting in my mom's old bedroom at my grandparents' place, reading liner notes of CDs and like reading about, you know, who produced what and who the graphic designer was for this album yeah. and, and who sang back up on it and reading through all the lyrics. And I just knew early on that that's what I wanted to do. And it's funny because it's not like I really knew anyone that was doing that. Like, it's not like I had, I wasn't living in a metropolitan area. I was in a very kind of country, yeah, lifestyle, like lots of farms and lots of people that have just a very simple, like, you know, blue collar work. Yeah. That was, you eat meat and potatoes and- Right. Yeah. So, it was a very different culture than what I think was already innately in me. I really wanted to travel. I really Mm. wanted to go to cities. I wanted to create things. Yeah. In high school, I was homeschooled till grade 11 and then 11 and 12 went to high school. And um, in high school, I- just on a whim, entered a contest. It was like two weeks before grad. And it was a contest to perform with David Foster and Jay Leno and Michael Buble, who at that time hadn't really popped off yet. He okay. had like kind of just launched. Yeah. And uh, it was a BC-wide talent search and I won in my region of BC. So, And you'd been doing music stuff before that. Were you writing your yeah, own stuff? Yeah, I was writing my own okay. stuff a bit. I hadn't really released a lot. Like I was like 16, right? Yeah. So, I was pretty young. I released maybe two or three demos and okay. had like a press photo taken like, you know, by a brick wall and a staircase <laughs> like everybody does when they yeah. first, you know, you get your dad to take your, your promo photo. Right. It was just a different time than it is now. Like there yeah. was, you know, it wasn't, yeah. Well, it wasn't that long ago. We won't. We won't. Yeah. We won't. <laughs> You're talking about young. Yeah, yeah, I am. Did, uh, uh, were yeah. your parents excited about you getting into music and wanting to travel more or were they kind of... Oh, yeah. No, they were always excited about awesome. it. Yeah. yeah. They were super supportive. My mom actually, and this makes her sound like she's weird. She's not. <laughs> she's very, very normal. But early on, like I was singing like since I was like five probably, like very... Wow. I had a, a heavy interest in music and drawing. So, that was like the, the two things I wanted to do. So, my mom, I don't know why, but she decided that she was going to write David Foster a letter one day about me and about like, you know, one day she hopes that we can work together. (laughs) And she had no idea that we actually would. um, And we worked together twice. So, anyway, that was kind of funny and random and strange, but cool. Very cool though, yeah. Um, From there on, just released more music, played around a lot kind of everywhere I could play. I played in like songwriters, like circles at bars and I was underage and they would still let me play a song and I play in churches and I would play in schools and yeah, it just kind of was, I think a lot of people ask me, how do you do music? How do you get into it? And I think that you just start 
Right. And that's what I did. Right. So, I just played wherever I could go. And um, from there, just kind of doors just kept opening. Whenever I saw opportunities to showcase or to enter contests, um, I would just, I would sign up and do it, you know. And and this is around 2003 probably. Okay. So, it was a while back and it wasn't, I wouldn't say it's as flooded as it is now back yeah. then. You know, there's so much content, so many artists now. At the time, like I grew up listening to Christian music. So, only gospel music in the house. I remember... I eventually played a gig with Paul Brandt, country artist. And I remember his band saying to me, you remind us of Stevie Wonder. And I was, <laughs> I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I'm like, at this point, I think I was probably 18. Yeah. And I was like, I, I don't know any of his music. Like, I don't actually know who he is. Yeah. And they couldn't believe <laughs> it. Uh, but wow. I, you know, I could tell them anything about every artist in like Christian and gospel yeah. music. So, yeah. I, you know, but. You should do a cover of Shackles by Mary Mary. <laughs> well, I actually did like what? back in the day, but it's been a me? long time. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, You'll have to give me that exclusive. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. No, probably not. <laughs> probably not. You'll have to pay extra for that. Okay. I remember, um, I actually think it was in 2004, I was like coming home from school mm -hmm. and my mom like always only put on the Christian radio station. Yeah. And uh, I would always be upset. Like I'd want her to like put on like the pop music station and she would always end up changing it after like two songs. She's like, if I hear one thing bad, I'm changing the station. <laughs> yeah. And I just always thought the Christian station sounded totally the same. And then your song, I think it was Lights Are Coming On. Yeah, yeah. That was like, I thought we were listening to the pop radio station and I loved that song. And I was cool. like, this is such a good song. And it sounded so different than everything else on the station. So, mm -hmm. it's like crazy that I'm here now because that, that was something that like inspired me to at a young age to kind of like, you know, Christian music doesn't have to be in a box. Mm -hmm. It can be fun. It can be exciting. It can sound good. Yeah. Yeah. And I love your vocal cool. style. Too. Thanks, it's man. awesome. Thank you. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. I mean, I think that for me, I was very similar in that respect. I really, I think when I got into Christian music and saw that there's quite a small box on what you can do yeah. creatively, probably around the age of 19, 20, I went to Nashville and met with a bunch of, I had some interest from all the major Christian labels. And you quickly find out like, oh no, you have to do it our way. And, right. and this is the way that it works. And I think it's changed a lot over the years since then. But at that time, it was like very formulaic use the same writers as everybody else, the same producers. Right. Um, and so, I really just didn't want that. I think when I got yeah. there, I realized this is the thing that I've wanted my whole life. Yeah. And I'm in the room with like people that I've read about for years. Right. And then I realized that I'd have to like sacrifice myself or what, what I felt was like true to me and authentic. I think for me, that was like, okay, that was a turning point where I decided, okay, I'm going to do what I do. And I, you know, if it doesn't fit in that box, that's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, for better or for worse, here we are. <laughs> That's great. And you, so how did that song end up on my radio station at a young age, being an independent yeah, artist and totally. being so young? Yeah. What, what was the journey for you? That journey looks like uh, I came to Calgary for, uh, what was it? It was a, it was like a gospel music awards show. In the US, they have the Dove Awards, which are kind of, right. I think they're now the K-Love Awards. But anyway, okay. back then they had these kind of like the Christian Grammys. Right. And so, they started one in Calgary called the Vibe Awards. Okay. Um, and uh, this lovely lady named Dion Smith, who's from Calgary, she started it with a small team and they just right out of the gate just killed it. They put on a really great event and somehow found so many great 
acts from all over Canada that came to showcase. And I'm still like good friends with many cool. of those artists. Yeah. And, uh, but that was my first kind of, yeah, I hadn't really played anywhere outside of my local kind of area in BC. So, uh, so did she kind of know about your stuff? Well, I, I, they had like a showcase for new artists. So I had oh, applied okay, I see. Okay. and she was like, where did you come from? Yeah. Like you're playing the showcase and she was super supportive. And so they had a panel of judges and, and I was playing like way later on in the night. So there's like, you know, we're playing in Calgary, a bunch of Calgary bands are yeah. playing. They, all their fans are there. Right. I had no fans in the crowd except for my mom <laughs> and dad. And, uh, it was like the end of the night and it was kind of funny looking back is like on the I forget who else was on the who the judges were but I didn't know any of the judges at the time but now like I mean Brad Rempel from High Valley was one of the judges okay. he's a good friend of mine now cool um, and they're killing it obviously yeah. with their country music and so he was one of the judges and I think Carolyn Aarons was a judge too who's a you know, really well-known songwriter in Christian music but anyway we had we had a bunch of people we probably had someone from the Christian station. What's this the Christian station in? Uh, Shine FM. Shine FM, yeah. yeah. So, I think we had someone from Shine FM on that too. Okay. Anyway, long story short, we went yeah. by a landslide, which we didn't see coming at all. And suddenly overnight, like people that, you know, <laughs> weren't replying to my emails are like, hey, we want to sign right. you <laughs> the next day. <laughs> Crazy. So, uh, that really got things going in, in Christian music in Canada and in some ways even south of the border because we had more interest because of that. At the end of the day, like as much as there's a hierarchy and there's lots of, you know, red tape and there's labels and all these different parses are, yeah. are, are people and, and parts of the machine. I think at the end of the day, people are people. And if you're friendly to so them yeah. and you just appeal to their humanity and you connect with them, they're going to try to give you a shot. I think in Christian Canadian music at that time, there was... It was like, whatever you have, we'll play it, you know? So, I was really fortunate that yeah. I could I could bend the rules a bit. I could do something a little bit different and they would add a song like Lights Are Coming On. Right. You know, even though it sounded different, they needed content, yeah, you know? Yeah, that's so, cool. Yeah. So, fast forwarding a bit to your album, Love and the Lack Thereof. Mm -hmm. That album was super successful. That kind of got you a bunch of awards and mm -hmm. recognition on a wider scale. And was that album after your time in Nashville realizing that I don't want to be fit into a box or how did that album come about? Because that was after Lights yeah. Are Coming Off. Yeah, yeah. Right. Here to yeah. Stay was the first album. Um, right, okay. That came out in 2004 and that won a Juno for gospel album and then... And that was independent as well. That was independent too, okay, yeah. Cool. That was my first one. And then Love and the Lack Thereof came out in 2011. So, it took me seven oh, wow. years to make that album. I didn't um, realize there was that big of a jump. Yeah, Crazy. huge jump. And... You know, I think for me, I, cause I grew up in, in church, I grew up a youth pastor's son. I was always the kid that like, I never rebelled. I never like, I was always a good like <laughs> textbook kid. Right. And I think that my faith was so important to me, but it was also like, I hadn't really discovered it for myself. It was all very much a carbon copy of my family's faith. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of went into my music. And so, for me, that seven-year period was actually a time of me like unlearning so many things. And like, <laughs> I remember, I remember just feeling guilty for writing a song about love because I wow. felt like, no, if I'm like a Christian, I got to write songs about God, yeah. you know, and, or, or like writing a song about having a bad day. Like, you know, I need to like be a positive influence. Right. Like, no, that's <laughs> actually garbage. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, I think, for me, as I got older, I realized God probably wants me to be honest, hmm. um, even if that honesty isn't always what people want to hear. 
you know? So, for me, that was a long process of just sorting through stuff. And I think even looking back now, just looking at my journey in the last like 10 years, I think there was also some just sorting through some mental health stuff too. And just, I just didn't feel like, yeah, I I was just trying to figure stuff out and I didn't feel like I was ready. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it just, it took a long time, but it was also, yeah, going through meeting all the labels and realizing this is not the right fit for me. Mm -hmm. This is not really what I thought it was going to be. And I was just really holding out for, <laughs> I'm going to do it my way and, you know, yeah. see what happens. There was like two different seasons within that seven-year period where I met, did the rounds in Nashville and met with labels. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, the first time I was super young and, you know, I think I was still really green. The second time I was a little more experienced, mm. but it still wasn't a good fit, you know? And so, but I think beyond that, I was just, yeah, just trying to sort things out. Just yeah. trying to figure out, okay, what do I want to write about? What kind of music do I want to make? Right. Um, am I a Christian artist? Am I just an artist? Yeah. And that's my faith. Like, I was sorting all that stuff out. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that album is fairly faith-based still. Yeah. I didn't think it was at the time. Really? No, I thought I was like, you know, I, <laughs> I again, like, I didn't li- really listen to pop radio, so I didn't know what right. was being played for the most part. So, you're like, I'm being um, more vague. So, this yeah, isn't. for sure. Yeah. And I was like, there's a love song on it. Maybe too. Yeah. You know, it's fine. But I think at that time, I was just starting to get into like artists like Adele and James Morrison and stuff yeah. like that. So, those artists were influencing me in their own way. And then it was also a time when Switchfoot and Stacey Rico were breaking off in mainstream. Yeah. They were traditionally Christian artists, right? right? So, so that was the time. Like, even when I met with the Christian labels, that was the one thing I brought up right away. It was like, what Switchfoot's doing? I want to do that. Right. And they were like, well, it's not, we can't like guarantee that. Yeah. You know, where our job is actually to make Christian music. <laughs> right, right. So, um, you know, which is understandable. Yeah. But, um, but that's kind of the time of, that was going on at that time. That was what I was kind of working through. Yeah, I feel like it seems like that album, for me as a listener, Mm -hmm. when I first heard it, I feel like you did kind of successfully bridge that gap where it's like, I know that there's still a faith element to this, but also Mm -hmm. this is like a real life album. So, it feels like you were successful in that. Yeah, no, that's great to hear. And and I think, yeah, for sure. I think it was an authentic, honest album. Mm -hmm. It was where I was at at the time and and I was, uh, yeah, at a place where I was processing my faith, but I was still writing about stuff that was outside of that. Too. Right. And I guess fast forward to now mm-hmm. between that album and your recent EP project. Yeah. How have things changed since then? Obviously your name <laughs> is now my rebranded name. a little bit. <laughs> you can actually read my name now. Yeah. Is uh, that partly why you changed it? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cause yeah. It, I mean, it has like every continent possible in the original Ukra- yeah. <laughs> Ukrainian spelling. Um, I was actually, I was on a flight to Tel Aviv a couple of years ago and the gentleman at the airport in, in Newark uh, was Polish and he said, your name is actually Polish for the rung in a ladder. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> yeah. So, I didn't know that until, until he told me that. Yeah. But my, yeah, my original name was Sibel, but it's Szczebel in uh, <laughs> Polish and it's S-C-Z-E-B-E-L. So, it's very hard to Google. And um, right. that always kind of came up like, you know, no one knew how to say my name. Yeah. Even when I won the first Juno, Jan Arden opens the envelope and the first thing out of her mouth is, oh shit, <laughs> for the gospel album of the year. Uh, That's you know, like, so, no one could like say my name anyway. And, yeah. Um, yeah. I had gone down to Nashville in 2012. So, right after Love and the Lack Thereof came out, went to Nashville and had some interest from a label there. I was actually Yamaha who does keyboards and pianos and stuff. So, they started a boutique label and 
they flew someone into Vancouver to interview me for their magazine. And we just started talking about what they're working on next. And, and she mentioned that they're starting a label. And, and I was like, in my mind, I'm thinking that's just, that's amazing. That would, they'd be perfect. You know, they yeah. have, they have budget obviously, and they know every artist or at least so many of them and producers and, right. and all the labels. So I'm not sure how it kind of happened, but eventually they thought the same thing and they reached out to me and, and I was like, ah, oh, you know, trying to act all cool. Like, yeah, no, that'd be, <laughs> I'm very interested in talking further. And so long story short, I moved to Nashville and spent about six months developing stuff with them and, and just getting to know their team and working on songs and writing and recording demos and, yeah. And I thought like, this is it. This is the thing I've been waiting for my whole life. They're an amazing team. Mm-hmm. They're super fun. And just towards the end of that period, the wheels started falling off and the label just wasn't. Mm. Um, I think there was just some parts that were missing and, you know, really great people. I'm still friends with almost all of them to this day, Yeah, but most of the employees just started leaving. And so, okay, yeah. So, it was like, okay, it's just not working out. And and I think now they're focused more on just music and they're not doing as much label stuff now. But yeah, for me, it just was suddenly not a good fit. And, and yeah. I realized, okay, this is probably not going to work out. Was that so, a pretty big blow to you after? Oh, yeah. 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 Because I had like hung all of my hope on that. Right. Like, you know, right. that was the thing I've been saving myself for. That's the reason I didn't sign so many other deals because mm-hmm. you're waiting for the good deal. Right. Mm. And so, it's a risk to sign a bad deal. But a lot of artists sign bad deals and flip into a good one eventually. Yeah. But it's also a risk to wait and wait and wait until you get a good deal. Right. Because you might not get it. I was living in Nashville and I had a a tour with Paul Brandt coming up. I play keys for Paul. He's a good friend. And so, I decided to, uh, yeah, pack my bags and pack up my stuff. And I thought for sure that I would be back in Nashville. I thought like, I'll come back and find, you know, a place. I was in a house with three other roommates and uh, they're all great people in the music industry. And yeah, so by the time that I got out of my deal with Yamaha, we lost the lease on the house because it was going to be sold. So, we had to find a place. We couldn't find a place. So, I packed everything up, came back to Canada for the tour thinking I'll be back and I'll grab my stuff and, you know, find a new place. Yeah. And never went back to Nashville. (laughs) I still have stuff in storage there. Crazy. So, yeah. So, that was a a different, just didn't see that coming, I guess. And for me, it really came down to a work thing. It was like, yeah, I just didn't have the visas and all that stuff to actually make a living in the States. And I didn't have a reason to be in Nashville anymore. Right. And any momentum I was having was in Canada. So, it just made sense to be back in Canada. Right. When I was in Nashville and I was in the middle of the meetings with Yamaha and the label there, I was introduced to a guy who had been through that industry. I had no management, nothing, right? Okay. At the time. And so, Paul Brandt's bass player used to play for Sixpence, None the Richer. Okay. And so, he said, you should talk to this guy, Mark. Mark is awesome. He used to A&R Sixpence and he knows the industry like right. through and through. He's a great guy just right. to have on your team. So, I started meeting with Mark and he referred me to some other people and just kind of guided me through that process a bit. And so, while the Yamaha deal was going on, I was recording with another guy, uh, another producer named Jeremy Latito. And so, Jeremy was great. He was in a band called Leagues. He played drums for uh, Matt Carney and Jars of Clay oh, for cool. years. And so, yeah, I did three songs with Jeremy. One was Till the Sun Burns Out, Promised Land, and See Through Heart. And we actually did two more. One of them was called Good Fight, and that was my last Greg Savelle song. Right. And then the other was a song called Monopoly, which has never been released. <laughs> Is it a good but, song? 
Yeah, it's a great song. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, but yeah, you'll never hear it because <laughs> I mean, I, I haven't even heard it for a long time. Um, but yeah, so I worked on those three songs and I'm glad that I did because if I had not done that while they deal thing was being worked out like I wouldn't have anything to come back to. Wow. So I had these three songs from Nashville and I knew that I wanted to release them but I didn't want to release it as Greg Sabell. I didn't want to do Christian music. I didn't want I know there's no slight against Christian music. It just was like I just didn't fit in the box. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, why even have the box? Why you know why not just yeah. make music? So yeah, so I had these three songs. I reached out to a guy that I had known for years who worked in the radio industry in Canada. And I showed him Till the Sun Burns Out and he was like, man, you know, we've been talking for a long time and none of your songs were a fit for radio, but this song is a hit. And so, I was pretty pumped. But then he's like, but you need to get a radio remix. So, <laughs> so <laughs> almost it, there. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was, uh, we tried to find someone to kind of remix it and just really couldn't find anyone that was a good fit. And then I was... I was online on SoundCloud and I came across this guy named Davey Baduke who had done some remixes for Tegan and Sarah and Dragonette. And I was like, this guy could be perfect. And I didn't really know him from a hole in the ground, but I was like, I'm just going to send him a a message on Twitter. So, I sent him a message on Twitter and he responded right away. He was super excited and yeah, he was on board. So, So, he did a remix and honestly like killed it like he hadn't done a whole lot at that time but now he's done some really great stuff and he's that's awesome fantastic so yeah he did the remix and we released it to radio and the whole name thing like i i knew that i didn't want to release it as greg sabell but i knew that if i totally changed my name that i could lose any fans that i already had right so i needed to have some sort of tie and i just felt like yeah i just felt like what can i do that's building on what i already have but is fresh and new if not for my fans, from my sake, because it feels so old to me mm-hmm. now. So, I changed the name to the phonetic spelling of it and dropped my first name and just went by Sabel. And uh, we released the single to radio and yeah, in a week and a half, it broke top 40. And I had like fans messaging me on Twitter saying, this guy's totally ripping you off. Like, you, you know, have you heard of this guy? Oh, <laughs> and they were serious. They didn't <laughs> connect the dots. Oh, wow. I was on, on the radio tour for that single. That's so funny. Uh, and we were in Red Deer, Alberta, I think. And the DJ, we were on like a, a break. They're playing some ads and we we're in the middle of an interview and the ads are playing and he's like, hey, I have a question for you. Do you know, um, there's a guy in BC, he's probably in Vancouver. Maybe he's your cousin. His name is Greg Sabell. And I was like, my radio promo team and my guitar player like cracking up in the corner. <laughs> and I was like, man, uh, I am Greg Sabell. And so anyway. And that Sabell project, that came out 2016, 2017? 2013. Are you yeah. serious? The first single oh was goodness. first single was actually Promised Land. It didn't go to radio. Oh, okay, so right. There was a, an early version of Promised right. Land. Yeah. Okay. That came and out October 2013. Okay, crazy. And then February 2014, till the sun burns out, came out. Okay. And then that probably peaked around June or July okay. uh, 2014. And then after that, I was scrambling to come up with another single. And so I worked on <laughs> the next single, <laughs> Promised Land, for a year. We re- remixed and re-recorded the original version and okay. just like, started from scratch. So my radio team was like, this is your next single. It's a hit, you know. Yeah. Go do what you do and came back and released it to radio and it just like dive bombed. <laughs> but <laughs> that's that okay. a great song. Oh, though. thank you. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's radio is very fickle and it really doesn't come down to if it's good music or not. It, right. 
you know, it comes down to timing. It comes down to who else is on the charts too mm-hmm. and who else is releasing music, seasons. Does your song sound like summer or fall or whatever? Right. So, there's a sense. lot of variables that you don't think about when you turn on the radio. Yeah. I don't think about it. Yeah. You know? I mean, now I do, but right. I didn't. So, I learned a lot with that with that single and, and learned that you can do all the right things and have the right team, but it doesn't guarantee anything. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it seems like there's been like a few moments kind of like that where you've had to revisit things and kind of like have mm-hmm. yourself up again to start something new. And mm-hmm. even after love and the lack thereof, like having that experience and not knowing what's coming next and yeah. the Yamaha thing dropping up, that must've felt kind of, it almost seems like everything is not certain in this industry, you know, like, you just, <laughs> no, nothing you can, is certain. <laughs> so what do you think it is that keeps you coming back to it? Why haven't you given up yet? I don't know. Please don't give up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, I, I've given up a few times. Just people, I just haven't publicly given up. Hmm. And I would say this last year has been a season of not giving up, but being okay to change my mind about my dreams. I think for wow. me, for a long time, you know, I had this dream from a young age. And I think in the culture that we live in, especially in North America, where we have the privilege to even have dreams like this, mm-hmm. you know, where like, I want to be a professional, I don't know, blogger or businessman yeah. or whatever. Like we talk so much about dreams and go for your dreams. And I was always the guy that was like, you know, pushing for that too. But then I started to see like friends of mine, they were going for their dreams and they were burnt out and their yeah. families were falling apart and they yeah. weren't happy. And I started to see that person in the mirror too and saw like, man, I don't love my life, but I'm chasing this dream because it's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's been this learning process of like, even this last year has been giving myself permission to, I'm allowed to change my mind. I'm allowed mm-hmm. to be like, hey, you're 35 now. When you were like five, you didn't know what music was. Right. When you were 10 yeah. or 12, you didn't know what a career in music looked like at all. You just saw the good side of things. Mm-hmm. And so, giving myself the permission to, you know, I'm not, I think I had a lot of pressure that I put on myself from people around me that were like, you yeah, know, this is, what this is what's going to happen. And you're, yeah. you know, and they, you know, they said like, oh, it's, you know, I mean, my grandma's still, and my grandpa too, he's he's gone now, but he would be like, you know, when's, when's your big break going to be? I'm getting long in the tooth. And my grandma <laughs> still says that. And, you know, so there's a party that's like, I don't want to let down people yeah. that have seen this coming or at least predicted this would happen f- right. for, you know, for years. But also giving myself permission to be like, you know what? I'm going to just have a day job. I'm going to go like work at a furniture store. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and that's okay. If you're pushing 30 even, like I had a meeting with very well established manager in LA one time and I was probably 28 and he basically was like, yeah, man, like you're done. <laughs> and that's just the industry. That's if wow. you work in pop, like, yeah, they want you when you're 15. Yeah. And so, I had to go through all that stuff too and just process that and be like, you know what? No matter what age I am, I'm going to be creating. Right. Even if I'm 80, I'm probably going to be writing songs still. Right. And maybe Josiah is the only person that wants to listen to that song, (laughs) but that's fine. Uh, You know, I I just, this last year has been processing all of that stuff and just taking a step back from music and Mm -hmm. letting myself not fall in love with it again, but have enough distance from it Yeah, that I could see it for what it was and I could pick up the parts that I want and leave the parts I don't want. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm not, I didn't quit, but there was definitely two times in the last few years where I was like, hey, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting because I feel like we're almost, yeah, we're almost conditioned to feel like, 
I imagine putting myself in your shoes, like, mm-hmm. you know, after winning two Junos or performing with David Foster, even, you know, all these things that have happened mm-hmm. and even successfully putting out music consistently. I think the mindset that we have is like, that means that you have to keep going up and up and up and yeah. those things happen for a reason. So therefore that has to be pushed into more. Yeah. And I guess that's not really your perspective necessarily. It's kind of like, how do you look at those past experiences? Do you feel like they are meant to be part of what your life is like now in some mm-hmm. way? What does that look like for you? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I think, yeah. um, I do think that everything happens for a reason. And that sounds kind of trite and cliche, but I think it does. But I also wonder sometimes like if things had happened the way that I thought they would happen or I thought they should have happened. I wonder if I would have been ready for it. I wonder if I would have had the the muscle mentally and emotionally to like carry that load. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that sometimes the things we want are actually not good for us and we have to just trust the process. And so, I think for me, what I went through and the, all my experiences have been, yeah, it's not like what I predicted, but that's okay. Sometimes that's the fun of it. Sometimes yeah. like- like I never would have thought that I'd be playing in a country artist band for 12 years, but I have. Right. And it's given me so many great experiences and I've been able to tour across Canada more than I would on my own. And I've been able to meet some incredible people. I mean, I played with Paul, we played for Prince William and, and Kate, like when they came to Calgary. Yeah, we've, cool. we've met some incredible people and yeah, that wasn't, I didn't draw that into my dream. That wasn't what I wanted to do at all. Yeah. But looking back on it, I don't regret that, you know? Yeah. So, I think that cool. all you can do is just kind of show up and do your best. And I think my advice to anyone, if anyone wanted advice about this is don't hold on to your dreams with an iron fist. Like sometimes it's okay to just like breathe and open your hands and be like, you know what, what happens will happen Right. and do my best. And yeah, it might good. actually turn out better than I planned. Right. But I think the most important thing is just keep your mind and your heart healthy, you know, just surround yourself with people that are honest with you, that care about you. And, um, yeah, if, <laughs> if you hate your life and you have no one around you and you're lonely, but you chased your dream and you're rich, like who cares? <laughs> yeah, that's a good uh, word. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's kind of, I think for me, that was where I, I saw myself going. I was so focused on career and I wasn't really happy. And it was yeah. like, man, it, like I want to hang out with my nephew yeah. who's four and you know, who's so much fun. Like right. I don't want to miss that. I don't get that back. So, right. yeah. Yeah, that's good. And do you still hope that you'll have a big break with your music or does that kind of look different? (laughs) I think it's one of those things where like, I don't know. I think in some worlds, the success I've had were big breaks, you know? And so, so I can enjoy those and savor those. And I think for me, I just want to make music that I really love, that I'm really proud of. And obviously it would be amazing if they made some money and they won some Grammys and stuff like that. And lots of people heard them. That would be amazing. But I've just come to the conclusion that I just need to create because I need to. Cool. And I'm okay with that. So yeah. We'll just make it and put it out there and yeah, see what happens. Sweet. And I'll always listen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Greg. <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks. Cool. Man, what an interview with Greg Savelle. Honestly, one of my idols growing up and hearing on the radio, I can't believe he made it into the studio for my show. I'm still inspired by Greg's interview and how he's navigated his career, culture, and identity. You're definitely going to want to keep tabs on him. You can stay connected to him on Instagram and find him at Sabell. that's S-E-B-E-L-L. 
Next, I'm excited to continue this wave of musicians who have made their mark and taken so many directions, starting off in the quote-unquote Christian world with one of the 2000s most iconic Christian music artists, Rachel Lampa. If you didn't grow up in the Christian music scene, take note. Rachel is incredible and has a pretty amazing resume. She's even been on SNL with Hozier. Let's dive into her experience. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. As I mentioned on Instagram, I just remember I'm All Yours was like my favorite song on China FM, which is our Christian radio station here in Calgary. I loved it. It was, yeah, you were always on the radio. So that was awesome. Oh, that's so funny. That that song has like not come up in so long. So that's that's so crazy that you say that. (laughs) Yeah, because I was looking at your singles and the history there and it doesn't seem like that was like a main single. But for some reason, I feel like it did really well here, which is which is funny. Hey, I'll take it. That's great. (laughs) And same with Outrageous, I think it's called. Those were the two. Yeah. Which is so funny. That's that's also very weird. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it makes me happy because I actually really like those songs. Yeah, they're really well produced too, especially like for their time. And I was just listening to them again. I'm like, wow, these are really well done. But yeah, why don't you um, give us a little bit of an introduction? Tell us about yourself. And there's a lot to go through. You've been in the music scene for a long time, but maybe just let us know how people might know you best and kind of what you're up to now. I started doing music at a really young age and was kind of I guess, signed my record deal and kind of started my career in it when I was 14. I was living in Colorado and just like sang, was kind of sang all over town. And I was asked to sing in this little coffee shop that ended up being next door to like this major, I guess, Christian music festival sort of thing. I actually didn't grow up on Christian music at all. So, I was asked to sing Christian music. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but um, so I ended up singing like the soundtrack of The Preacher's Wife. (laughs) 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 Yeah. And so, yeah, saying that in a little coffee shop and ended up like kind of basically getting a record deal that night, which is so funny to say these days because that just doesn't really happen anymore. Um, Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. So I did that and then kind of immediately started like just recording and touring just right off the bat. And yeah, I guess yeah, I'm All Yours and Outrageous <laughs> were a couple <laughs> of my songs, but some of the more well-known songs, I guess, would be Live For You and Blessed, um, mm. No Greater Love. But yeah, again, that was like early, early 2000s. So that was a million years ago. <laughs> um, and yeah, just kind of lived a crazy life of music ever since. Um, yeah. And here I am now. <laughs> That's awesome. So that sounds like a pretty crazy story. Just by chance, you had you were entered into this kind of record deal blitz in the Christian music yeah. world, not expecting it at all. Did you have any inkling that that would be something that happened that night? Not really. Like, I mean, I kind of always told my mom that I was going to be a singer and, you know, I always wanted to be singing. I always wanted to be, you know, anywhere that music was. But as far as like, when you're 14, you're like, you're not really thinking of your career. (laughs) Yeah. So to me, it was like, oh, I get to miss school and I get to meet cool people and go cool places. So, uh, you know, and obviously at that point I was 14 and I was singing about my faith and that was like a whole other journey, you know, of, of like being all of a sudden, you know, I'm like this Christian that like loves God and is, 
trying my best to figure out what, you know, what that means and how, you know, what that means like for everyday life and how I live my life. And then all of a sudden people are like, kind of looking up to me and stuff. And I'm like, oh, wait, wait, I don't know about that. (laughs) Totally. Um, So, yeah, it's been an interesting ride. And you mentioned that you didn't even really grow up around too much Christian music either. So how much of that experience, I guess, at the beginning, did you feel like there was kind of an image being shaped around you? Did you feel like you had a lot of freedom with that? Or was it kind of like, this is what you should think because now you're a Christian artist? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to like totally zoom back into that time of my life and Mm -hmm. remember exactly what I was feeling because it was just all happened so fast. But I definitely had those moments where I was like, I remember there were a couple times where I just was like, I would read the Bible and I would immediately be like, oh, I should say that on stage or something, Mm -hmm. you know, rather than being like, oh, wow, that's a really good truth for my heart, you know? So there were definitely moments and like phases of my life where I definitely felt the pressure to be more mature in my faith than I was. I don't think that's like anything unique to me. I think a lot of people feel that, especially when they're young. But being in the public eye a little bit more, um, I definitely like had that battle for sure. So what have you been up to now? We'll maybe get back to that stage of your life. But yeah, um, yeah, what have you been up to now? I know you just released a new single. And obviously, you're still interested in the music industry and being a part of it. And so yeah, maybe just unpack that for us. Tell us about what makes your heart tick and what you're up to these days. Yeah, it's been a little crazy of a season, probably the past five years, mostly. So I I kind of did take a true like hiatus from music in about Mm -hmm. 2010. At least as far as like making my own music, I kind of just felt really, really worn out on it and kind of burnt out and just thought I didn't want to make my own music, but I wanted to keep singing. So I joined some friends and did a TV show called The Sing Off, (laughs) like singing acapella music, which I had never sung in my whole life. So I did something like that. I did some backgrounds for Jordan Sparks. We toured with the Jonas Brothers and Britney Spears and did kind of this fun little adventure of my life. And then um, <laughs> and then five years ago, I joined Hosier oh, on yeah. tour as a background singer. And we traveled the world and did some really fun, awesome things. And I was having a blast because I there was just no pressure to be anything other than singing some oohs and ahs, <laughs> you know, in the back right. in the background. But I about halfway through that tour, I started to feel like I was really hearing like the the voice of God saying, I've got some ideas for you that I'm planting in you. Like it mm. re- felt really real and and I finally I felt that thing again of just being able to like have something to say and feel really strongly about it. Yeah. Um and so I started to kind of write music, some of it with my husband, most of it with my husband. And then right at the end of that tour, we found out we were pregnant. So wow. I was like, all right, okay, so this is a new season. <laughs> yeah. That was um, an at unexpected the end of, one. Um, that was at the end of the Hosier tour? Yes, right okay. at the end. Like the last three months of the Hosier tour were the first three months of my pregnancy. Wow. Yeah. So I came home from that tour and kind of had like one of the most still moments of my life as far as just like having to kind of hunker down and just be still and not like start anything new. So I had my little boy and when he was about a year old, I started to kind of write and record again. So now, yeah, I'm I'm releasing those now. So in the past like six months, I've been sort of releasing, I think I've released about like three songs in that time. I guess comparing your early 2000s career with kind of your your background vocal 
stage and doing that show. Did you notice that there was a lot of differences between the Christian music industry and kind of the secular music industry where things orchestrated differently? Was there a different culture? What was your experience in kind of maintaining who you are and then witnessing those two different worlds? Yeah. I mean, honestly, there are definitely some big differences, but there are definitely more similarities than there are differences in that it all comes down to the heart of people, of the people around you, you know, and whether or not, you know, it was like an overarching even requirement for everyone on the tour to be a Christian, there were still really life-giving God-filled moments and conversations that were happening just as much cool. as as any other Christian tour I was on. Sometimes even more, I would say, you know, because there were just there was a little more freedom to speak. A lot of actually more like questions were asked. I think I definitely got asked more questions than I ever had hmm. um, when I was, you know, surrounded by just a full, you know, group of Christians. There was a lot of belief systems and stuff that were shared on the Hosier tour. And so it was really fun to just kind of answer questions again. And usually I wouldn't have the answer. <laughs> it was yeah. more like contemplating and listening to each other and seeking to like understand each other. So to me, like, I feel like that is what God really loves is when we just spend time with each other and contemplate and, and all of that. So that part was really cool. I mean, there are obviously, you know, we didn't play in churches and, you know, youth groups and stuff like that. So kind yeah. of, you know, those things were different. But for the most part, you know, it's like, it just comes down to people in their hearts. And, you know, my relationship with God grew like great, great amounts through all that. And it sounds like there's a lot packed into a short amount of time. But yeah. if you could kind of pick a career highlights that really stands out to you since you started in the industry, what is one of those moments that will live with you forever? Oh my gosh, I I do have some. Um, <laughs> well, one of the more recent ones I have to say was when we, I was with singing with Hosier. We did SNL. We did Saturday Night Live. Oh, wow. <laughs> And that was really, really big for me because I like have a secret dream of being like just a comedian. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Even though I'm not really that funny. I just <laughs> think I am and want to be. <laughs> so like just being on the set and just like kind of overhearing people like running their lines and just the whole thing. I was like, wow, this is the best right now. <laughs> That's pretty incredible. Wow. Yeah, it was really fun. I also back, I think it was like in 2001, I was invited to sing with for the Pope um, oh, in cool. Rome, actually. So it was World Youth Day where like, I think it was 2.8 million people come out wow. um, to hear the Pope speak. And so there's a lot of music being played and all of that. And it was the first time that I had seen obviously that many people in one place, but to see, I think there were like 156 countries. There were all like these different cultures and different people and different languages coming together for something greater and for love. <laughs> mm -hmm. And to me, that kind of birthed this passion in me for different cultures, for other countries, for the Middle East, for, um, you know, just I'm sort of, a lover of cultures. <laughs> awesome. So I think that was kind of an opening moment for me with that. Yeah, that's really, really cool. Those are both amazing experiences. Yeah. Definitely once in a lifetime. That's awesome. Definitely. So your, your career has been kind of an interesting journey where you started in the Christian industry and then you got a lot of opportunities, I'm assuming birthed out of that and those connections and kind of being able to position yourself. So would you say that for people who are trying to grow their music career and maybe do come from a faith background, is it 
beneficial to start in the Christian industry and then branch out? Or is that kind of irrelevant today? Because I know the Christian music industry has changed so much. So what would you say to someone today trying to get started? Gosh, I definitely feel like I am one of those people. (laughs) I feel like I'm one of you (laughs) because I feel (laughs) just as much like, what do I do anymore? (laughs) Like, how does this work anymore? Right, right. Um, So I think my best answer for that question is, you don't have to make that decision anymore. Mm-hmm. I think you make your art and you write your songs and you be true to what you have to say. And then you release your music and you let people figure it out for themselves. I don't think there's so much a need anymore for um, having to like define yourself into a box or a category. I think for sure, like people are able to find you and you find your music in a way they used to not be able to. And so to give your art and your voice like the best chance to be true to itself, I would just not worry about that part and just keep making your music and putting it out. And it is, uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy how in the 2000s, there had to be this separate Christian music scene and it was so successful and there was so much hype around it. And today it's like, you know, you go to youth group and kids are like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And I'm like, you don't remember Stacey Rico and like <laughs> Switchfoot? Like, come on. <laughs> I know. It is It is so funny. I Stacey is one of my best friends. And so we talk all the time and we're, we always just forget. Like, <laughs> we always laugh that we forget like that each other does music. <laughs> that so we funny. actually, that we're like, we'll be like in the car and the other person will start singing. We're like, oh yeah, you're, you're a good singer. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Wow, well, we miss Stacy, so tell her to come back soon. <laughs> <laughs> what's coming up next in 2020? Are you going to work on a full album? What's kind of your vision for your career moving forward in terms of music? I know you have a son now. And yeah, do you have plans to kind of take that further? And what can we expect? Yeah, so this past year, I did record an EP, but I didn't release it yet because I oh, felt awesome. like it wasn't it wasn't fully done yet. So that's my plan is to finish it out and just make it into a full length album. So my heart really is for me and my family run a nonprofit called People Loving Nashville. And we just work with people who are kind of experiencing homelessness or coming out of incarceration or incarcerated. And so my heart is to like bring more of my music into those scenarios, into the jails and stuff like that. So I'm hoping to finish this album. A lot of it is written for them anyway. (laughs) And to tour but also to like pair up with a lot of jails and prisons around and try to do an integrated kind of tour with that. That's incredible. So maybe there's a collaboration with Kanye West. Uh, (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? He's been, he's been crossing paths a lot lately, huh? (laughs) Yeah, totally. Well, that's awesome, Rachel. I'm really looking forward to hearing more of your stuff and best of luck with the foundation and your family. And I'm loving the new song. So keep it coming. Thank you so, so much. So good to talk to you.
I am still buzzing from that awesome time with Rachel Lampa. You wouldn't guess it, but we had a world of technical difficulties before we recorded that, and I'm so glad it all worked out. You aren't going to want to miss Rachel's new projects, and you can find her on Instagram at Rachel Lampa. That's R-A-C-H-A-E-L, and Lampa is L-A-M-P-A. Also, you'll want to dig up your Walk to Remember soundtracks in the meantime. (laughs) I'm really so pleased to be finishing this episode off with who I believe will be the next big thing. I'm serious. I'm so excited for this up-and-coming artist and her incredible music that you're going to want to keep an eye out for. I'm more than honored to introduce you to the one and only Kaya Allo. You'll want to make sure you have time to catch this one. Let's dive in. Kaya Allo, Asha, thank you for coming in today. Thanks for being on my show. This is the finale of season three I'm putting you on. And I'm really excited because I got to hear some of her music before I came out. And it might be out by the time this episode comes out. Yeah. I hope, yeah. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. I hope you guys will get to hear it by then, but it's seriously amazing. I wrote a script around you. I already recorded it, so you don't know what I'm going to say, but it's all good because I'm so excited. I'm excited too. Yeah. So welcome here. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, give us an intro, and then tell us about your moniker, Kaya Allo, and how that came to be. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored that you would have me on your amazing podcast. Thank you. But yeah, you were asking about my moniker Mm -hmm. and Kaya in my language. So Zulu, Debele from Zimbabwe, Kaya means home, like your home home, like Mm. where you're really from. And so I really wanted to always kind of pay homage to where I'm from, no matter what accent I developed or where I live, I always want to be grounded in my home. So that's where the name came from. The spelling is for aesthetics. I love the spelling, yeah. But yeah, that's where my name comes from. And And what's the aloe part? The aloe, I just really love the sound of those three letters. Mm. They just kind of came out of nowhere for me when I was deciding what I wanted to go by. And I just really liked how it sounded. That's so good. Mm -hmm. And how long have you been going by that artist name? About four years, but I haven't put out a lot under this name. So that's why this new journey is so exciting because I'm finally putting it out. Like the vision I had for Kaya, for her and her vibe, everything is kind of happening now. So I guess she was, you know, in the incubator for four years. Right, right. (laughs) And now she's coming out. Mm -hmm. We finally Mm -hmm. get to see her. I'm so excited. Yeah, me too. So can you maybe describe to us like what part of your persona is Kaya Allo? Who is she? What characteristics of yourself spill over into your artistry? And why is it separate from who Asha is. Who is she? Yeah. Kaya is the personification of all of my dreams, the reality that I would live in without fear. Mm. Fear is an emotion that really, no matter how much people are fearless, I feel like it's an emotion that impacts so many small moments of our personality and of our lives. Every moment we're making a decision where we might not necessarily think it's fear, but you know, you're not going to, if you feel amazing while you're at your cubicle, you're not going to jump up and down. Right. You're going to hold it inside because of what, so Kaya is the kind of person who would jump up and down and not care. Yes. She's deeply honest in a way that I don't think I could ever be. Hmm. She's just really the expression of all of the things that I think are beautiful in life. I wanted to put them into her because Asha is not normally like her. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I, I really enjoyed kind of creating her and I'm excited about where she's going to go because I always yeah. want her to evolve. Very and it's cool. so strange that I'm talking about this other person. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's, yeah. It me. <laughs> it's really cool because I feel like when artists do that like alter ego type thing, it's so therapeutic because it gives you an opportunity to express kind of what you're used to putting down that you can't really put through yourself. And that feeling is so unmatched. Yeah, so yeah. that's exciting. You get to express that. Yeah. I'm thankful that I have this outlet. You know, I think about the people that I work with, for example, and mm -hmm. I think, where do you ever get to let it out? Yeah. You know, like they're not artists. This is their life. And they're always so controlled and contained. At yeah. least I know when five o'clock hits, you know, Kaya's out. <laughs> yeah, right. She's, she's been held back all day. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I am really thankful for the opportunity to be able to express myself in this way and have the freedom to. Mm -hmm. And you're in corporate Calgary. That's what you're referring to a little bit. Oh, hey? Chad. Yes, yeah. I am. <laughs> but I'm thankful. You know, it yeah. funds my dreams. Awesome. Um, I just pray that it is a chapter that ends soon. Yeah. Well, maybe it <laughs> Shout will. out to my work friends. Hey, what's up? <laughs> we won't mention the company name, but. No, it's fine. We're yeah. Here. You know, I'm overall grateful. I'm thankful. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. So going back to the music stuff, you mentioned that Kai has been in the incubator for four years. This has been a long journey for you. And I'm curious, like now the time is here, you're about to release this stuff. So what's been the biggest barrier to releasing that music? What's held you back for those four years? Whew. Um, I feel like that's going to be my, the first word after all of your questions, just whoo. I know, I'm going deep. This I is love like, it. Let's I've, take I it there. I love this opportunity. Yeah. I love it too. And I just trust you so much and I feel so safe in this space. Good. But to answer your question, the biggest barrier was me, mm. most definitely. I think up until last year, I was blaming all of these other external forces and it took last year to really sit myself down and a lot of this year to just go, wow, I really am my barrier. I really am impeding my freedom and I really am giving so much weight and space to fear yeah. in so many different ways, saying yes too much, way too much, always fitting into boxes, but that's my choice. So I say right. myself, but it's kind of multi-layered in right. that like, for example, you know, a lot of African kids that grew up here will probably be able to relate. And I think that's a huge part of who Kaya is and who Asha is, is always sitting in the middle, trying to balance between what's expected of you and who you really are. Mm. You know, I was a brand new immigrant coming from a completely different culture. Yeah. And to have a new accent, so many more white people that I'm used to. Yeah. All of these things, I had to get accustomed to fitting into boxes for survival, mm. you know, to survive the playground, to get through school, to make sure you understood the teacher, mm -hmm. to make sure you're understood, you're changing your accent. That's one of the things that I did, I guess, as a coping mechanism. Right. So I think realizing that so many times in a day, we all fit into boxes, but some of them are self-imposed mm -hmm. and removing those, that helped a lot. Right. Yeah. So, so part of your process in creating this artist side of you was undoing those boxes that you've been put in yeah. and allowing yourself to be free again. Absolutely. And I think that process is continual. I don't mm -hmm. think that'll ever stop. It's every second of every day. It's big things, little things. Yeah. But just having that awareness, I think, changed a lot of how I started to feel about myself, feel about my artistry, and also a lot of the other musical boxes that I had been put in in the past. Mm -hmm. You can only wear masks for so long. 
And yeah. so I think removing that aspect as well and just starting to create art from a place of honesty and vulnerability, taking off that box kind of seemed to really open up my creative space. And I think you're lucky because you didn't really release anything or you were really protective over that until you got to a place where you could be honest and not everyone has that opportunity. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Yeah. That's really exciting. At the time, it didn't feel like a blessing, but now it does. Yeah. It does now because I was so impatient. You know, my peers are doing the things that I want to do. They're living my dream and mm -hmm. and I'm just kind of like waiting. But it was a blessing because I don't think I would have been proud of anything I would have made up until this point. Yeah. And there's mm -hmm. so much wisdom in that. I'm really glad you waited. Thank you. Yeah. Do you have an example maybe of, because I, I mean, I, I am talking to other people who are in the music industry on this episode. And I'm curious now that you're at this point, have there been moments in the music industry where you felt that the image that people were projecting onto you or the expectations they had for you for your artistry would have fallen flat? Like, have you contested that kind of situation before? Have you gotten out of a tricky situation? I don't know if I'm wording that right, but... Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. I think any artist that goes into the music industry in every whatever scale you're in it, you're going to experience some craziness. You're dealing with highly emotional people most of the time in these spaces where they are encouraged to operate out of this like highly emotional, you know, high frequency and vibrational space. Mm. So you're bound to definitely cross wires, you know, normal life. Yeah. We hold back what we want to say. We're not like Judy. <laughs> right, right. We say kindest regards, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. So that, that that's been a challenge. Saying no is difficult as a woman because you know, the first thought is to sexualize a woman in art, especially if you're going into R&B. Yeah. Um, that is usually the first kind of marketing point they'll go to, whereas a man can be 300 pounds, you know, look juicy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and his talent might come up first. Yeah. So I think pushing yeah. through definitely the hypersexualization of what a lot of different people wanted my image to be, mm -hmm. pushing through the kind of songs that I should put out, the genre even. And were those experiences hard to get out of? Like, or were you able to say no? And Yeah. I mean, the hard thing is that I've gone through this industry mainly on my own. And so being younger, many, many years ago, I said yes to so many things I shouldn't have, giving my power to so many people I shouldn't have. So mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. So at this point, you'll have a couple singles out ideally. This is a December 20th release. Oh, is that, yes. Is that accurate? We're going to have actually the first single comes out December 6th. We have a date. Okay, mm -hmm. great. So mm -hmm. the single will be out. Yes. And which single will that be? Which Vice. Song? Vice. Okay. Yes. Ooh, such oh, a good one. I'm so excited. We got the release date this week. So I'm so pumped. Oh, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited for you. So the plan with the rollout of this project, which I believe is called 17 Times, walk us through that. What can we expect and when will the actual 17 Times come out? So 17 Times will be out March 17th Whew. of 2020. I'm so excited to say that out loud. It feels amazing. But the rollout, I wanted people to kind of meet Kaya. Mm -hmm. I've only put out one major release before this. And it only, like, I think the, the major market for that one was Europe. So it didn't really make it over here. Mm -hmm. um, so this is really a lot of people's first opportunity to meet this woman. So I'm excited about that. It's nerve wracking. It's scary. It means I have to be vulnerable in public and I'm a hermit. I don't like to go out. So, 
pray for me. <laughs> <laughs> what is the meaning of 17 times? How does how did that come about? Oh, it's a very heavy title that I think when the full project comes out in March, it'll make a lot of sense. Hmm. So I don't want to spoil it too much, but essentially the concept is all of the times that we fail ourselves mainly. We fail ourselves in small decisions all day long throughout our lives. And those small decisions have impact whether we want to believe it or not, whether we are aware of it or not. And so a good example I could give you is New Year's resolutions. 17 times is on January 1st, everybody at the gym. January 17th, I guarantee you that treadmill is going to be free. Mm. So those 17 days you wake up every day telling yourself, I'm going to go, this is the day I'm going to be committed. I'm not going to go out for drinks. And then you do it again. Right, right. And you do it again. So that's kind of the the front end of 17 times. The middle end that I want to put a lot of focus and emphasis on is awareness and then grace at the same time. Hmm. Because I think the mistake that I've made and that is detailed throughout this project is all the times that I've fallen and then I stay down. Hmm. All the times that I've fallen and I've given my power away and I've believed a story that I couldn't do it anyway or I deserve to fail or everything was doomed. Yeah. But I think in the growth period that I've experienced over the last couple of years, I feel like the word grace has been kind of forced by the universe. You know how Oprah always says the universe will whisper, you know, it'll like tap you and then it'll just throw a brick at your face. Right. Grace was like bricks coming at me hmm. at weird times. And grace for yourself? Yes. Yeah. And for others. So yeah. first I felt like I grace for myself started off. And then it just kind of felt like something that I wanted to extend to others. And I hate to be a quote queen, but there's this beautiful book called Hold Me Tight. Mm. And the author says this beautiful quote where she says, you cannot ask for what you're not willing to give. Wow. And so that quote came up for me with grace and learning it for myself. And then once I kind of started to have it for myself, extending it to others, because if I want to be treated and meted and met, treated and meted. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ryan's, you're an artist. <laughs> if I want to be uh, met with grace, yeah. I, I have to meet with the same thing. So right, that's, that's, right. that is in that's a very long winded form. That is the journey of 17 times. So awareness and grace, self-awareness, mm -hmm. yes. grace for yourself mm -hmm. and being able to be met with grace mm -hmm. from others. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. yeah. And the reason that I don't say the end of 17 times mm -hmm. is because I don't feel I've reached it yet. I feel like I'm still learning the middle chunk. Yeah. But the end is when you're able to fully, fully get up. And I don't think I've done that yet. Okay. I'm in the middle, but I'm thankful to be in the middle. Have there been specifically 17 times where you felt like you were knocked down? Or is that more of a an image thing? It's both. Okay. But... Yeah, 17 times is the number of times that I made a very conscious and real decision to end my life. I've had that happen to me 17 times. Actually, let me rephrase that. I've made that choice 17 times mm. where I just wanted to quit. Yeah. And so that number, I remember the last time that, you know, I, I just I just had a conversation with God. And I hope that you know, people that listen, that they don't get hung up on what people call God. God can be whatever you need, a force, a man with a white beard, a woman, 
the wind, it doesn't matter, but that thing is so real. Mm -hmm. And so the last time I just heard this voice say, I'm going to guarantee you another day. Hmm. And I need you, all you have to do is just show up to that day. And so that, yeah, that was the last time. So with that being said, what is the voice that you're hoping to bring to the world with this project? Is it a message of hope? Is it a message of not giving up on yourself? What's the message that Kai is telling the world? Sometimes we have to give up on ourselves in the sense that, you know, I am a germaphobe. And so if I was pursuing a career in medicine, I would hope that you would let me know to give up on that. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Because imagine what a terrible doctor I'd be. I wouldn't want to touch the patient. I'd be like, can you administer your own needle? (laughs) Um, And I want people to not necessarily be focused on always getting up, but focus on awareness because awareness guides you to the truth of what you're supposed to be, the path that you're supposed to be on. Mm. So that is the message I would love to put out to the world that we're so focused on the end result that we are not focused on the fact that we're asleep most of the time. So in that sense, I want that message for 17 times. I want people to be able to have a space where they can be vulnerable, whether it's in their car, at their desk. But music has done that for me countless times. Mm-hmm. In corporate culture, we all have to wear masks to survive right. the environment. And I think music has been amazingly healing in that I can just pop in my headphones and my exterior space might not change, but a safe space is created by this music. I love that. So I want to create that when people listen to it, pop it in, you know, do what you got to do. Yeah. I'm there for you. I'm giving you a hug every time you listen. That's but so yeah, good. That's, and also have fun. Shoot. Life is so serious. Yeah. <laughs> have fun. Oh, I love that. That's mm-hmm. just, that's so your spirit too. Like I feel that from you. Anytime we connect, I feel so much support. I feel like there's a safe space created inside of me. I also feel like we have so much fun. Like So much fun. That's just who you are. You're such a light. Oh, thank you. I'm really excited for this project. I'm excited too. Thank you so much. Yeah. Can you I tell us about- I feel the same about you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. A little tender moment happening in the studio. <laughs> Not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us about your favorite track on 17 Times and why is it your favorite track? Um, Paint a picture for us. I'm going to say Vice. Yeah, the single. Okay. Yeah, it came from a very authentically pure place. Mm -hmm. It felt really, gosh, I'm about to sound like those annoying artists. It felt organic. (laughs) (laughs) It just came to you. You know, it was kombucha unfiltered. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it describes a scenario that we, so many human beings are in, whether you're a little Mm. kid with your vices, you know, candy at the corner store. Yeah. Or all the way to people that struggle with addiction issues to cope. Yeah. And so I was just, I wasn't even thinking about a particular person when I wrote this song. I was just thinking about that emotion that we all feel Mm -hmm. when we're giving into this thing that for a temporary moment, we're giving it our power. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it, it felt great. I wrote it with a talented human named Shay. So shout out to Shay. Awesome. Mm hmm. That's great. I really love the humanity that is in this project, like the overarching theme of the awareness and grace for yourself. But also, I think even when you're talking about vice, I'm thinking like, there's so many things that keep us asleep Mm -hmm. and keep us from having that awareness and grace. But sometimes it's not a bad thing. Sometimes we need those moments, you know, where we can just be Mm -hmm. and experience and chase what we need to, but Mm -hmm. without looking at the end in sight. And I think that's a way of being woke, even though it might look like you're distracted on the surface. No, that's absolutely true. Yeah. The journey is beautiful. Mm -hmm. I think about, I had a really 
amazing experience when I was 17. I had the opportunity to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Wow, I did not know this. You didn't? No. Shoot. <laughs> Good thing I had you on the show. Gosh, I'm such a hermit. <laughs> but yes, I was 17 and wow. I remember so many tough moments. I'd never really been an outdoorsy woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was my, like, imagine going from not camping to Mount Kilimanjaro. It was wild. Yeah, no kidding. So wait, you actually did it? The whole way up and down. I don't remember the last, I don't remember summit day because, uh, you know, I was so out of oxygen. So I'm thankful that they had a, rec- like someone who was a videographer on the okay, trip. Okay, hold up. This is yeah. crazy. You actually summited Kilimanjaro. I sure did. When you were 17. Yes, sir. What? Yeah. That is a crazy fact about you. Sorry, yeah. I just needed to I take showed a pause. Up, oh, no, that's okay. I showed up to grade 12 feeling like a thug. <laughs> yeah, no I walked in like, mm, guess what I did? <laughs> Whoa, that is insane. Mm-hmm, yeah, I'm thankful that my parents afforded me that opportunity. Oh, but, and man. it was for charity, which was even better. Asha, you are my idol on oh. so many levels. <laughs> I'm bowing down right now. <laughs> oh, you're so sweet. Wow, um, that's crazy. Okay, yeah, sorry. But, Go back. Yeah. I was just... But basking this, in that. No, it was a bask-worthy <laughs> thing. But I remember this one moment. I think it was either day four or five. And, you know, altitude is really setting in. Mm-hmm. The land is now barren. So you go through all four seasons of hmm. uh, vegetation of weather. Yeah. As you do the, we did the climb in eight days. Okay. So it starts out as a lush jungle at the bottom with animals. You hear monkeys. And then the second or third day, it kind of gets a little, you know, barren. There's still trees. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, it's just rock. Yeah. For the last few days, it's only rock. And the beautiful formations that the rocks would make. This one guy who was about my age on the trip, he would always point out that we were above the clouds. We'd look to the left and right and go, oh, my gosh, Hmm. we are literally walking above the clouds. And I think just that trip made me realize that sometimes we're so focused on getting to the top yeah. that we don't actually look around. Right. And that trip will always be etched in my mind because at every level of that climb, there was something beautiful. This is not on the script, but I do. Yeah. I am curious. You mentioned earlier kind of your experience being a new immigrant and coming here and having to like wear your masks and... We talk a lot about culture on this show, Mm -hmm. and I'm curious at this point in your life, how do you culturally identify and what do you feel like you're tied to? Or are you creating a new culture for yourself through your art? Oh, I love how you asked that question. I'm definitely creating a new culture for myself. It's a scary place to be because I'm a little bit older. Man, I'm talking like I'm, you know, so wise. I'm a little bit older, 27. (laughs) (laughs) But really, I, I think... That is the only way that I, for myself, I can thrive. Mm -hmm. I was talking to someone the other day about how as immigrants, we only know to be in survival mode. Yeah. Even though we're in Canada, you might have all the freedoms, everything looks normal on the outside, but you're always in survival mode on the inside. Mm. And so I want to thrive. I don't want to be in survival mode anymore. And I, and I've come to the, the thought and the decision with what I know now, which means that it could change as I grow and learn more because I don't have all the answers. But with what I know right now, I have decided that I need to create my own culture. I can't fit in anywhere. Hmm. I'm a juxtaposition in so many ways, literally. I, I, I can't force myself to fit. I'm one of like three black people at my yoga studio. 
I like I love hot <laughs> yoga. Struck, swear yeah. by it. I'm the only black person in my Orange Theory class, <laughs> but I love being there. I'm the only black person in so many settings yeah. of my life in places that I choose to be in where I go, okay, I'm actively wanting to go to this yoga class, yeah. but this isn't a thing that any of my friends, any of my black girlfriends want to do. So does that mean that I'm not black? Right. But I am. And they're no less black than I am because just because they don't want to do yoga. Mm -hmm. So I think creating a culture for myself is so important right yeah. now. And, and that comes with that honesty that I'm learning to embrace that no, you don't have to. I don't like going to the club. I don't like to drink alcohol. I think the taste is disgusting. <laughs> I love ice water, but I love hot yoga more. Yeah. There so, you yeah. Go. Mm -hmm. oh, Creating that's so a culture good. for myself. I do want to talk about culture when it comes to Kaya. Mm -hmm. She has a bigger role, and I see her in the future really having an impact on little black girls' lives. Yeah. I want to make all of those little black girls that grew up alone in a place where they saw nobody that looked like them. You know, you're dealing with the pressures of your culture. You have to still abide and respect the culture you come from, but mm -hmm. sometimes it doesn't always fit in the culture that you live in. Mm -hmm. And you're caught in this in-between and this little girl is so lonely. And I want this music, the things I want to do with my life. I just want to create spaces where these girls who are juxtapositions just like me don't feel alone mm -hmm. that they don't have to want to like hip hop. Maybe there's black girls that like folk music. That's perfectly all right. I want to create a space where they can be themselves and, and stand in it and be proud of that. So that's the two aspects of culture. That's really cool. And I, I've come to a realization in doing this show too, that like, there's so much power in that concept of individual culture and what you create around yourself, the atmosphere. And as we start to break through those boxes, like we were talking about, that gives us the freedom to form that. And I think everyone needs to explore what that looks like for them. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be making this show if I didn't feel like I need to create my own culture. And at the time I started it, no one was doing podcasts like this. So I'm like, you, you know what? You are such an inspiration. Thanks. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and the thing, I'm just going to shout you out for a minute. Oh, okay. Not only do you inspire me with creating this platform, I love that so much about you because so many people just spend their time complaining, but you took action and you created the space. You mm. said, it's not there. I'm going to create it. And I think that's so amazing, Josiah. And I also think what's even more amazing is your resilience, that you weren't afraid that no one else was doing it. You didn't think that, oh, what if people think I'm weird? You did it and you stuck to it. And I think that's so commendable and inspiring. I just wanted to say that Thanks. and I hope that makes the cut. <laughs> Brad, don't cut that out. <laughs> Thank you so much, Asha. I really appreciate yeah. it. And you inspire me in so many ways too. So it goes both ways. I'm glad we're friends. <laughs> I'm so glad too. You're so special. Tell me about what inspired this record musically, lyrically. Who's uh, feeding your brain? Where is this coming from? All of the weird places I like to exist. I'm an only child, so I spend a lot of time with myself and I like it that way. I love yeah. solitude, but I have to learn balance because I'm you know, I'm a little extreme with the hermiting, but, um, unless housewives of Atlanta's on, then you're listen, coming out. They inspired <laughs> this record. I'm telling you like Nini, when she says you a monkey with a wig on, you know, those quotables, yes, those or quotables. I don't backpedal, I front pedal. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, okay. The confidence of those women, mm, um, come on. that is inspiring. I love, love, love 
the space of music, like where it's living right now is such an exciting time. Mm-hmm. The way it's changing, mm-hmm. the sounds. I'm obsessed with hip hop. My preference when I'm not making music, when I'm just listening to it for fun, I pretty much only listen to rap. Yeah. So it's really cool being an R&B emotional singer. Yeah. And then listening to rap and having the hardness of that and bringing it into my art. Love it. That's a huge source of inspiration. I'm forever a hip hop fan. But yeah, I love fashion. I love all of the beautiful things that I have this uh, photo on my Instagram mm-hmm. of Kawhi Leonard what? from the Raptors. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, yeah. He's no longer on the Raptors anymore, <laughs> but they won the championship. Yeah. And I posted this one photo of him in action and I captioned it. Every nigga is a star. Yes. And I mean, I've been saying that so many times this year because from Moonlight winning that album, that's where oh, I heard this song. Yeah for the first time in the movie Moonlight and then them winning the Oscar and all of these amazing things that black people have been doing Mm -hmm. in spaces where they have the odds against them. And not only do they have to overcome the odds, now they're on even playing field. They're exceeding that and excelling. Absolutely. Virgil Abloh, I bawled my eyes out for his fashion show. That was an every nigga is a star moment. Yeah. So that's a huge inspiration of this Uh, album too. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a good space and time mm-hmm. to celebrate. Oh, like niggas yeah. are excelling. And I, I say nigga with love. Yeah. Yes. That's great, Asha. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Um, a couple of fun questions that I might mix into the to the batch. Let's do it. <laughs> Number one, I'm thinking of a specific story that I really hope you'll tell us. But what is your most memorable celebrity encounter? Which one is it? I'm thinking of this as a story, but... Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> you don't I have to tell that no, one. No, that's fine. I'm proud. I'm, okay. I'm not ashamed. I am unashamed. Okay. I love SZA. So I used to live in Vancouver and I worked at this club called Fortune Sound Club for a very brief time and it paid shit. But I used to sell tickets. I was a ticket slinger um, <laughs> to shows, but I could go in the green room and meet the artist. Mm-hmm. That's what I really took the job for. And SZA was one of those artists that came through. It was an epic show. But I um, used to be friends with this exotic dancer who used to make her own outfits. And so I told her, I said, girl, I'm about to meet SZA tonight. I need to look cute. (laughs) Let me borrow one of your crazy outfits. So I borrowed this mesh. It was just this mesh two-piece with a lot of skin. And I had my big hair out. And so I guess through the crowd, SZA had noticed my outfit. And when I got to the green room, she was like, oh my gosh, before I give you a hug, can you just turn around so I can see this outfit? (laughs) And so I said, on one condition. And she said, what's that? And I said, you have to let me feel your hair for tracks. So she said, deal. (laughs) So Did you find any? She had no tracks. Ooh, all right. You heard it here first, people. Mm -hmm. I don't know now. I mean, you know, they're lace fronts and all. (laughs) True. But at the time... She, it was, yeah, oh, she's, she's a beautiful soul. That was so fun. <laughs> that's super cool. But yeah. And then this is just, I mainly just want to know this. I thought it was a fun question, but mm-hmm. in the past six months, what has made you laugh the hardest? Um, Black Twitter. Hey, that's a great answer. I just got into Twitter this year. <laughs> yeah. What have I been missing? Yeah. You know, just today I was screenshotting tweets to have framed. This is uh 
this thread going on Twitter today about, you know, I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to change history and tell my kids different. And, oh, yeah, I saw. I saw. Oh, this whole thread had me gassed today. Yeah. So it was, there's one of them was uh, a photo <laughs> of the astronauts, you know, the portrait that they take before they go to space. Mm-hmm. But they've put Lil Nas X, <laughs> Lil Hank. <laughs> And then they got Billy Ray Cyrus and then they have Young Thug and the astronaut. Yeah. Like they look like they're really going to space. <laughs> and the, the meme said, I don't care what anybody says. I'm telling my kids these guys were on the Apollo 11. <laughs> <laughs> that thread, ha- God bless whoever made that. Yeah. They're going to be on my walls forever because I'm getting them framed in gold. That is incredible. Just to make them look epic. Okay. I want to see that when it's done. Yeah. I'm working <laughs> on it. I'm, I'm hopefully going to get it done this year. I'll have you over. You can see my wall. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> Well, Asha, Kaya, thank you both for joining me in the studio today. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I really appreciate it. And we're really excited for your music. We're really excited for what you're doing. Thank you. And what you're bringing to this world. And I pray that you don't continue hermiting at least... At least if you are hermiting, we can be consoled by your music. So that's that's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> I will I will come out of my shell. Great. <laughs> Thank so. you so much. December sixth, Vice comes out. Follow the oh. Instagram. Yeah. I got it all. I got it all down. Oh, I spelled yeah. out your name. Don't I forgot. Even worry. I, f- I forgot I'm dealing with a professional. You know. My bad. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Asha. Thank you. Love and light. With all the birds you give attention to Asking why not me You know my heart, it got some issues Don't blame me for what I have been through I'm laying down my ego Risk it all just to be with you You build me up You bring me down I reach out my hand And you let me drown The reason I All right, so who is rushing to Spotify right now to cop that fresh Kaya aloe? Man, I'm so over the moon I got to chat with her, and I really hope you keep an eye on her stuff. You'll want to be one of the first in on her projects. You can follow Asha and the 17 Times Project coming out soon at her Instagram handle. It's at K-A-E-Y-A-E dot A-L-O. And obviously find her music anywhere you get it under Kaya Allo, same spelling. Wow, everyone, that is it. That is season three from exploring the church to the international economy, Calgary's art scene, MLMs, the experience of people in the city of Paris and the music industry, among so much more. It has been an incredible ride. I could not even imagine the show would be where it's at today, and I'm so appreciative of those who have been following the journey since the beginning and have encouraged me to continue exploring and meeting people and being curious. This really is my dream. If you just started listening to the show for this season, I have good news. There are two more seasons before it, 
You won't want to miss my discussions with Rachel Dolezal, the 2015 news icon who is a white woman identifying as black, my conversation with one of the Real Housewives of Vancouver, chats with some of Alberta's residents in the most remote towns, indigenous voices, business owners, and so much more. You can catch up on everything and contact me. By the way, please do contact me at my website, josiahpodcast.com. At this point, I'm not sure what's next for me, but I sure hope to continue my journey of journalism, stories, and people. And I hope you'll be along for the ride. You can follow me personally on Instagram at josiah.sinanan. That's J-O-S-I-A-H dot S-I-N-A-N-A-N. And reach out at any time if there's a story you think I should cover in the future. A special shout out to ATB Financial, who powers the Alberta Podcast Network, Arcade Studios for my visual identity, we edit podcasts for their studio space, and all of my supporters on Patreon and all of my one-time donors. You have all helped contribute to this project so greatly. I can't express my gratitude enough. A huge thank you to all of my guests this season, Kyle Payne, Madison McBlain, David Clark, Diego Hidalgo, Awak Awak, Dr. Ali Bandali, Lori Caltagironi, Rihanna Lauren, Colin Carbonera, Zina Ukiel, Pedro Mitro, Kelsey Wind, Brian McConaughey, Katrina olson Modahead, Rob Maybe, Anissa Ferdini, Daniel Cox, and of course, Greg Sabell, Rachel Lampa, and Asha Moyo. You are all fantastic and fascinating people changing the world in your own ways, and I look up to all of you. Thank you so much for being on my show this season. Until next time, I'm your culturally ambiguous and culturally mixed host, Josiah Sinanin, and we'll talk to you soon.